0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me again on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host. And in this week's episode, I interview Amy Barron of I Was Supposed to Have a Baby. Now, I want to take this time to tell you guys that I love interviewing people who are open to organic conversation. And I would say that that's more my strong suit other than like just public speaking or having like a really organized set of topics to talk about. That's not the way my brain works. And I think I've just like come to terms with it and accept it and use it as a way to interview people and really get to pick their brains and learn a lot about this topic. So I really wanted to interview Amy because her page is so enlightening and it's so helpful and it's a, it's been a valuable resource for me as you'll hear on the podcast and it was just like such a great interview and if you've been here a while you'll, you'll know that I like to talk about the real topics and the heavy topics and the topics that aren't always fun to talk about because um, life is hard and we are all we all go through things and I think the more we could be open about it and support each other obviously not in an oversharing type of way, but in a way that we could all support each other, it brings people tremendous amounts of healing. So I hope you'll enjoy the episode. And I just want to take this time also to say, please, if you have gained any value from this podcast, please subscribe and comment and share it because the more people subscribe and share and comment, the more other people could find the podcast. So I would really, really appreciate it. And if you are looking to heal your relationship with food, and you want to work with me, go to my website, www.gilaglassberg.com There you could apply for a 20-minute free consultation, and we could get to know each other and see if we're a good fit. And even if we don't end up working together privately, you could let me know if you were interested in my group counseling, which I'm looking to start recruiting for again. And also there's tons of resources on my website, podcasts, YouTube videos, blog posts, general information about intuitive eating, and please use it as a resource. And I hope you'll enjoy the podcast and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Have a great day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hey, Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Amy Barron. Hi, Amy.
1: Hi, Gila. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for coming on.
1: It's my biggest pleasure and my biggest honor to, to just come on to different forums and to talk about this important topic that we're going to be discussing today.
0: Yeah. So I'll just tell the listeners, I found you on Instagram. Your handle is, I was supposed to have a baby and, um, I want to hear all about it, but I just want to say that, like, I was just so drawn to your page. Thankfully, I have never struggled with infertility or infant loss. Thank God, thank God a million times, but I do have, thank God I have a brother who lost a baby. Um, yeah when the baby was like three months old so it's just like so like yeah it's so near and dear to my heart and just like you hear so many stories about infertility and it's a it's real it's like a real like and and people just need support and to know that they're not alone so if you can I know I just went on and on about that but if you can just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: okay thank you um you didn't go on and on and I I, I mean I it's funny because I people I I'll, I'll tell a little bit about the work and the page but I you know this topic this general topic of infertility pregnancy loss infant loss is so vast and so wide and in our community is really just coming into the fore and just starting to be discussed like I always say like, you can never talk too much about this. Like the 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 little bit that each of us do just help the people who are suffering feel so much less alone. So I, I mean, you know, before Corona when all of us were having multiple Shabbos guests, like my work used to come up at every single table wow. and we talked about it at the table. And mm-hmm. so I, I personally always feel there, there's never too much that anyone can talk about it. So please. Um, so I'm Amy. I'm Amy Barron. I am a physician. I'm a doctor by training. i a pediatrician. And I, I come to this work because I personally suffered um, with secondary infertility um, and also had, unfortunately, six miscarriages, um, mm-hmm. two of which were in the first trimester. And then f- I had four um, second trimester losses in a row. Um, and look, Baruch Hashem, Kenai Nahara, I have five children. So I, I, I think specifically in the Jewish community, like if people don't know me and don't know my story, you just take a look at my smiling, happy family. You know, if you happen to run into us, if we're, you know, going to uh, I don't know, apple picking or if we're on vacation or you happen to run into a picture on my personal Instagram or social media pages and you see a happy, smiling family with Kanai five children, and you think, wow, that's so amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but the reality is, is that these these stories and these experiences that I had and that people had, have or had um, are so deep and they're so painful and we as a community were really just not doing a good job addressing all of those needs and the people who are, who are suffering. And I I think, you know, my, my specific, the way I came into this is that um, after my youngest, my youngest are twins um, and they're, they're now seven. They actually just turned seven. Thank God. Um, When they were two and I had, after I I knew that I wanted to take time off and spend time with them as they were growing up because they came on the heels of all of those second trimester losses. Um, And when I started to think about going back to work, I was asked to speak publicly in my community. I live in Riverdale and to talk about my experience with loss. So this was five years ago. And like, if we all think back to five years ago, what was happening then was that the general public, not the Jewish public, but the general public, was starting to talk about infertility. You would every now and then see a celebrity talk about her story, or you would see some, you know, article in a newspaper or a TV show would feature that as one of their storylines, or a movie or something like that. But it wasn't being really discussed in the Jewish circles, and especially in the From circles. Um, and I think. What I was, oh, I was on social media and on Instagram personally before. Like I've been on Instagram probably since its inception, almost, like maybe five years ago, seven years ago, but whatever it was. And what I saw was that there were these emerging accounts, like one after the other, and then there would be dozens and hundreds of accounts that were talking about infertility and people's personal stories, or talking about miscarriage, pregnancy loss, infant loss, but nobody was doing it from a Jewish perspective. Like all the Jewish organizations, and there are many fertility Mm -hmm. organizations, and they all do incredible work. They just weren't talking about it on social media. What they were doing instead was that they were just pitching their programming, or they were, you know, doing fundraising campaigns, but they weren't being supportive to the community. And seeing that it was done so well in so many other ways, and so for so many other communities, I just like, and and being a person who is in tune with social media and understands how it works, I, it immediately struck me that we were just dealing with a real hole in what the community could offer everyone who was suffering because the piece that's unusual, even more unusual about the Jewish community. And I will say even more so the from community is that we don't talk about things that are private and and infertility and loss often sort of falls in that bucket. And people felt this intense shame and stigma and just really and didn't want to talk about it at all but the beauty of social media is that you you can like come on and mindlessly scroll like you can just you can passively get the support without actively giving your story to anyone or making it public you can create a dummy account and you know anonymously and just or, and post, and, and even use it in a way that people don't know who you are, but still share your story. So I I created, I was supposed to have a baby um, last year in the spring of 2019. And I, I it, it's filling a need, it, it's mm-hmm. filling a void. And I'm just grateful to be able to have the strength to be able to do this.
0: Wow, um, wow, what a story. Um... Okay, so first of all, I'm so sorry for your losses. Thank you. I can't even imagine. And um, I watched a few of your lives. And although I didn't personally lose a baby, thank God, I felt a tremendous amount of support. And almost like that, that time period was so hard for my family. So it was like, for me, like the sister, the aunt, like it helped. So I can't. You are just helping so many people with this.
1: Thank you. This Look, and, and that's I, I, you know, that's another aspect of this, right? Like the when when we think about infertility or think about loss, you think that it's just happening to the couple, like it's mm-hmm. just those two people, or you know, if you're single or whatever it is, like it's just happening to that person. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that when someone's going through something, and especially something like this it's happening to everyone around them and everyone in their circle and everyone is suffering and doesn't want to see that person in pain. And everyone wants to know what to do to help. Like it's happening to everyone. So you're exactly right. Like this, this account, this nonprofit that I run is meant to not only support the people who are actually going through it, but it's also meant for people like you and anyone else who is, is, Know someone because we all know someone. We mm-hmm. all
0: know someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have so many questions. So, um, so first of all, the, so what is the goal? I know the goal is to to provide support, but what else is the goal of the page?
1: So the goal of the the goal of the page, the goal of the nonprofit is basically threefold. Um, one is support, like it's support here, there, and everywhere. It's mm-hmm. on the page itself. You know whether that's um, offering virtual support group, virtual support groups or one on one personalized sessions. It's the posts and the content that goes up where people share their stories or share their feelings. Or I'm pulling from other accounts and other people that are doing incredible work in this field, and something hits them. And and they they share an aspect of this that really resonates with people. So it, it's it's support first and foremost. It's support. Um, the, the second aspect is um, is really knowledge and and power. Knowledge, power, education. It's it's the giving the rest of the community the tools to be able to support exactly as I was saying before, to be able to support the people in their lives that are suffering. But in addition to that, it's also for the individuals who aren't yet at that point in their lives and want to, or are thinking like, hey, like, you know, I only get my period every, you know, three months or every four months. and. I don't know if that's normal or not, but like, it doesn't matter because I'm not married or I'm not trying to get pregnant now, but like letting, giving pieces of education and advocacy to people to have them know, like these things are typical and these things are not typical. And if this is something that's happening to you, then maybe you should go to your doctor and try to get it checked out now before you're in that stage, you're in that partial of where you're trying. Um, So the second piece is really knowledge and advocacy. And you know, the third piece is collaboration. Um wh- one of the main thrusts, the main missions of I was supposed to have a baby is to be this umbrella organization for anyone in the f- Jewish fertility community. So I have collaborated with and spoken about as many different Jewish fertility organizations that are out there that want to be publicized. Um, it's, it's funny, like, g- cause you would think like who wouldn't want like free publicity, mm-hmm. but the reality is is that sometimes people, sometimes certain organizations are very localized and lo- local geographically or very, um, s- they have a very small um, target audience and they only have a certain number of staff and certain amount of funding. And they, they actually don't want their organization sort of advertised to the world because they can't handle it. They right. can't handle the volume. Um, so whoever wants, um, my goal is to be the place where people come to get the online support that you can sit in your room, in your bed and cry and still get the support. But then, when you actually need to figure out which doctor to go to, or need to schedule this test, or need funding for a certain treatment, like you'll then go and find the organizations because you know you know about them because I've already talked about them. So it, it's the collaboration, cooperation um, in the Jewish fertility space. That's the third piece.
0: So it's really like a one-stop shop. Like if somebody is struggling, somebody has a family member struggling any, any of those things, they would go to your page. They would either get the support and the knowledge. Like I was just watching your, your live with Bracha and I, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And, and I was thinking, I was really thinking about it. Um, just for my listeners to know, I try not to, I try to research the person I'm interviewing to an extent, cause I want to, I like the organic conversation. So I do not want to like incredible. hear the whole thing, you know, You're incredible. Yeah. yeah but yeah, um, I loved what she was saying about like never ever asking or saying that somebody's pregnant, even though it's such a it seems like such a sensitivity, but there's so many stories. There's too many stories. So many. And um, and I was like, that is really educational. Like anyone who's watching that is gonna think twice, even though I've slipped up. I have, yeah. We all have. Yeah. We, we, yeah. All
1: have. Yeah. we all have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I I I think, you know, look, the organization is young. It just started, you know, less a little bit more than a year ago. So we have these lofty goals. We're hitting all of them. And we have many plans to build out even what's there already, to build out with future programming and future collaborations. There are there are many things in the work. So it's we're young, but we are the goal is is to bring this to uh, look, it should be that anyone who's struggling should be able to know where we are so that they can get get the support, that's the goal. God willing, but God willing, let me hold on, let me just say one second, God willing, this organization will cease to exist because no one will suffer anymore and everyone will have the children that they want, the time Mm -hmm. that they want it, and this will not need to happen. But until that happens, until Mashiach comes, if Hashem gives me the strength, I will continue to do this work. Wow. So
0: I want to ask on the technical side. So you're a pediatrician by training. So just for, for a few minutes, I want to know, Are you, did you have a love for kids? Did you have a love for medicine? I, my sister's a doctor and my brother-in-law's a doctor, lots of doctors in my family. So yep. I would love to hear that story. How that? Yeah.
1: Um, I, I grew up always like really always knowing that I was going to be a pediatrician always from the time that I was very little, I I should actually caveat and say that in my eighth grade yearbook, it says that I'm either going to be an actress or a pediatrician. So I, so like, or a doctor, I think. I'm similar, not sure. similar. Right. Very similar. Very similar. Um, I I I had um I had uh, had a couple of roles in some of our school plays, so I think that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember actually if it said pediatrician or a doctor, but I I definitely knew that it was going to be a doctor, and I was going to be a doctor, and that um, I, I I I always had a love for children, and I think the um the the piece about pediatrics and medicine is that it's a happy place in medicine. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much of medicine that's depressing. Mm -hmm. And yes, is it difficult when children get these horrific diseases or cancer? Absolutely. But I wasn't going into pediatric hematology and oncology. Like I knew that I wanted to be a general pediatrician. And generally speaking, when kids get sick, they get better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- for me, that was, I I was always headed down that road. It was actually a great, like, there was a really, like, really great moment in my medical school training. Like, there was a point of time where, when I was doing my OBGYN rotation, where I kept thinking, like, oh, this is so fascinating because, like, you see the development of the babies and, like, you see how they grow and the embryology and the different stages. Like, I was totally into it. And for a few weeks, I would say, I was like, yeah, maybe I should be an OBGYN instead of a pediatrician. And then like in, in these medical school rotations, like you do, um, you do some work sort of like theoretically, like more in the books academically, and then you spend time on the floors. Um, and so it wasn't until a couple of weeks in when it was time for me actually to go to the labor and delivery floor and start attending deliveries. And at my first delivery, I remember this, like, like it happened yesterday, my first delivery, um, like, you know, we're there and like, you know, the mother's pushing and like the baby comes out and like, it's like this, like incredible awe inspiring moment, which all of us, like, like people, you know, you see it on movies and TV shows, if you haven't experienced it yourself, but it's just like, it's this incredible moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, wow, this is amazing and then like you know the doctor whisk takes the baby and puts the baby on the warmer and i like follow the baby and like spent like 10 15 minutes like making sure the baby's okay and doing the apgar scores and blah 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 and then like my um my attending my the person who was in charge of me at the time said um hey um, by the way, like the baby's not your patient, the mother is your patient, like you need to come back here and like mm. figure out whether she needs to be stitched up. And like, mm. you know, like we need to take care of her, like not the baby. And I was like, mm. no, no, like I, I, I want to go back over there. <laughs> then I was like, okay, right. I'm actually want to be a pediatrician, not right. an OBVN. <laughs> right, right,
0: right. Wow. That's so cute. That's such a cute yeah. story. I love that. So, so then you became a pediatrician and how long were you, how long did you practice?
1: Um, so I did, um, I did my three years of residency, um, and I got married and had my first child during residency, um, and had her actually my, um, uh, my last year of residency and then basically took about six months off afterwards to, Finally, spend time with her and study for my boards. Um, and then I worked for, let's see, one second. No one's asked me this in a while, so just give me a second here.
0: No I think it, it was
1: like um, 2000 and da da da. Okay, so then I worked for about, it was either eight or nine years, something like that, um, where I was the um, was the attending uh, pediatrician in a hospital in New York City, where um, only for newborns. So basically, I did labor and delivery, so I was the doctor, if God forbid there was... High risk delivery or meconium, something like that, or preemies. Um, so I was the pediatrician who attended the deliveries, um, and then also I covered the newborn nursery and um, and the NICU. So it
0: sounds was- it sounds like you got to do like right. that exact experience right. over right. and over again.
1: Right, right, and I did, and it was amazing. Yeah. the The truth was is that it just that in at that time in my life. Um, So it was shift work. It wasn't an office practice. It was Mm -hmm. shift work and I could make my own schedule. And for someone who was newly married with a baby at home and God willing, adding more children to our family, the intention was, I didn't want to be working full time. I wanted to be able to say like, I don't want to work on Shabbos, on Yantif, you know, it was flexible. in the summer or whatever, like I, I wanted it to be flexible. And so this was the job that enabled me to do that. But yes, you're hundred percent right. I got to experience the awesomeness of deliveries all the time. And it was incredible.
0: Wow. So then, so when you were working as a pediatrician, you were also experiencing um, a lot, like that's when the miscarriages,
1: Right. Right, so, so what happened was, um, so I had my daughter, then, um, then we had that period right after she was born, we had um, almost three and a half years between her and my son. So that was my period of secondary infertility where you know I'm taking care of other people's babies all day long and have one of my own at home, thank God, but still was unable to get pregnant. Um, We went through lots of different fertility treatments. We never got to IVF, but um, lots of different fertility treatments. That was when I had my first loss and a lot of medical complications afterwards. Um, But still, I continued to go back to work. It it wasn't um, after I sort of healed from the complications that it wasn't triggering for me to go back to work. It was like this was a blip in, in the road it's bad and I'm really sad about it, but like, I'm I, like, that's just it. I already had a baby and like, everything's going to be fine. And I'm just going to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And then from that point on Baruch Hashem, um, infertility, not my problem anymore. Um, so then we had my son, I had my daughter less than two years after that. So three kids. And then we thought like, okay, let's start trying for the fourth. Um, and, um, you know, thinking I, 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 you know, we're in the modern orthodox community. I never thought that I was going to have twelve children, but we didn't mm-hmm. think we were stopping at three. Mm-hmm. Um, again, getting pregnant not my problem. Got all the way up to sixteen weeks, and inexplicably, you know, went in for my regular checkup, and there was no heartbeat. Um, and that happened exactly in the same way for a uh, three more times in a row. Um, either at 16 or 17 weeks. Um, And we basically, look, I I mean, you hit on it exactly right. Like the question was, how did I go back to work and take care of other people's babies Mm -hmm. when I was struggling to have my own? Mm -hmm. And so look, a 16-week loss for me, and again, I don't presuppose any of my experiences on other people, but for me, that 16-week loss was devastating. I, I was a wreck. Um, also the baby was healthy. There was nothing wrong with the baby. And to th- think that like my body just failed and couldn't carry this baby, we, we had no answers. And so that was also very difficult to try to grapple with. Um, and we, so I, I, I still knew, like I went to medical school. I, I was a pediatrician, like to just throw my job away just because it was hard for me to s- dig my way out was just really not something I was thinking about. So I took, I, I don't remember the time, how much time, but I took enough time so that I felt like myself again and then went back to work. Um, and those first few shifts were really hard. I remember like I, I was standing in the delivery room and like, almost lost it like Mm -hmm. multiple times. Like Mm -hmm. I I remember there were a bunch of times Like after the second loss, because I did go back after the second loss also, after taking even more time off, um, after the second loss, there were many times I had to walk out of rooms because I was sobbing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did go back and, you know, as we all know, like the more you do something, the easier it becomes. And so those first few shifts were hard, but then I kind of settled back into a routine. And again, like we also never got any answers. So it was just like the doctors kept saying, like, just keep trying. Like you have Mm -hmm. three healthy kids. Like I'm sure it'll be fine at some point. Um, Um, But after the third loss, I stopped working. I, there was just, there was no way I was going back. It, I, I knew emotionally I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, and at that point we had started to do a lot of investigation and talk to different doctors all over the country. And And it was logistically, it was impossible, but frankly, I, I was not in a place that I could have done that work anymore. Um, and so I stopped working.
0: Did your colleagues know, like, I mean, I'm sure they saw that you were pregnant. So was it like, was, were they supportive or was it just like really like, I don't want to say shameful. I'm just saying shameful because like, like just from my own like personal, like yep. the losses in my, in my family, I remember feeling a lot of shame. Like we were talking about before stigma, maybe like pity, like didn't want to be pitied. Like, was there a lot of that?
1: Um, You know, there were, there were only a few people that I told, there were only a few people that I was close with when I was working. Um, so obviously I had to tell my bosses and they were super supportive. And again, like I, my schedule, I was working per diem. So I basically told them when I was available. So it wasn't as if I had this regular schedule and they had to slot other people in, they were more slotting me in when I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. So they were super supportive and it just meant like that they had one less person that they could reach to when they, they had holes to fill in the schedule. Um, My, there was one nurse that I was very, very, very close to, and she was incredible and super supportive, um, and, and really lovely and, and really like it was shift work. So I could never depend that she was going to be on the days that I was on, but when she was there, it just felt like I was, I was working with a hug. Like Mm -hmm. the whole shift just felt better. Um, the rest of my colleagues, my the other physicians, all of the attendings in the NICU and and the other G- o- OBGYNs, like they didn't know. I didn't share it. Um, it wasn't really relevant to what I was going through, and so I, I I stepped out when I needed to and like pretended when I that I needed to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't I didn't feel like I wanted people pitying me, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to be able. It was also like. I was at work. Like I wanted to be able to focus and sort of get the job done, as opposed to thinking that like people thinking that I was not competent to do my job.
0: Right,
1: right. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the way it happened.
0: And did you feel like you were suffering like in silence? Like at that point, were you sharing your story with like your community? Or
1: no, no. Again, like so, let's just go back in time. The the bulk of my losses happened between eight and eleven years ago. Not the first nice. loss, but those nice. like four yeah. losses. That was a time, both in the general world and and also in the Jewish world, where people weren't talking about this. So did my close friends know? Yes. Um, you know, obviously my entire family. and and also, like there were other p- random people in the community, especially that first loss. Look, I was 16 weeks, Right. I was fully out there. We had already, ta- like we didn't put an announcement out but mm-hmm. everybody knew I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then we had to tell people I was not pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was horrible, it was horrible. So, and then the next pregnancy also like because people said it was a fluke. Like we didn't, again, we didn't announce but people saw I was pregnant. Like right. I look pregnant when I'm pregnant. Right. Um, I'm not one of those people that carries small. Like I just, I look pregnant when I'm pregnant. Right. Um, but for the other, the last two pregnancies that we lost, I didn't share with anyone that we were right. pregnant right.
0: because
1: it was just, it was, I barely left the house. Like, let's just like call it what it is. Right. Like I, it was, I could barely admit it to myself, let alone to tell other people, like I was sure that those pregnancies weren't going to be, to end in a healthy baby. Like I was certain I was gonna lose them also. I mean, obviously I was hoping that that wasn't gonna happen, but I was so scared.
0: So, yeah. So when you, uh, I'm just going back to the beginning of the interview when you were talking about putting this page because nobody was talking about it. Right. Is that, was that in a way like filling that void for, would have filled the void for you because you didn't
1: have the support? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, my, I, I created this space for me, the me that I was eight to 12 years ago or whatever it was, not the me who I am now. I I've done my work, you know, my, my therapy and my, I've done the work on myself to get myself to where I am now, but the me who I was then I would have loved an anonymous space where I could just lie in my bed at three o'clock in the morning when I wasn't sleeping anyway, and just like pick up my phone and feel the love, and feel like people really got it and knew what I was going through. I I created it with that me in mind. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So when you were going through all this, you, you didn't really have support or you didn't really have who to turn to?
1: There was one person, there was one person, um, who also had three second trimester losses at a similar time that I did. Like we would like, I would have a loss, she would have a loss. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we were, we were family friends. Um, and immediately like when I had a loss and she had a loss, people put us in touch with each other and she was the person that kept me sane. It was her and only her and she knows it. And we, if, if I didn't have her, there would have been no one. Wow.
0: So you created what you needed a few years ago and with that exact experiential feeling of what somebody who's experiencing loss would need. Now, I I really want to go there. Like, where does this shame and stigma come from? Like what, or why is it so private in the from community? Because I think it's important to, to know. Like we have to change that.
1: Right. Um, look, I, I have many ideas. Um, I think. I think I I personally think that a lot of it is rooted in shidduchim. Um, I, I think that that's where it's from. I, I think it's there's a shidduchim piece, and then there's the secrecy and privacy piece in terms of like everything that's taras hamishpacha sort of related like we don't tell people we're going to the mikvah.
0: Mm-hmm. we don't
1: tell people when we're counting we don't tell people when we're trying we don't tell people like not that i'm saying that we should i'm just right. saying like, there there's I, i'll deal with that part first and then the off afterwards mm-hmm. like like there there is this like we, we're given this like don't talk about it, don't talk Mm -hmm. about it, don't talk about like, don't talk about sex, don't talk about, you know, don't talk about when you're trying, don't talk about if you're not trying, don't like, we we don't talk about anything that's in regard to the bedroom in in a public way. And I think because look, look, let's, I mean, you could have sex anywhere and create a baby anywhere, but typically mm-hmm. it more typically happens in a bedroom. So I'm just saying like, I, I think it, it sort of falls under this concept of, we don't talk about that. Um, the infertility piece, the loss piece, I, I think it's really rooted in, in a beautiful, like We shouldn't talk about it because if we talk about it, it's going to bring more pain to the people who are suffering. We shouldn't talk about it with them. We shouldn't talk about it with the people in their families because if we talk about it, then it's going to remind them of their loss. And then they're going to be even more upset than they are now. And we shouldn't talk about it. Let's just bury it and forget about it.
0: And and, and let's just say bury it, right? Let's just say that that's an old school belief, right? About anything. The, The more we talk about it, the more we cause pain, but that's really not.
1: Correct. That's, the more we that's talk about it, the, the more
0: way. we we normalize and support, right?
1: Exactly. Look, that that that's a very old school philosophy in right. general, and and we also there there's so much so much research out there in the general psychology community about how you know the more you sublimate, the more you push away negative feelings, the more you try to pretend that they don't exist, that it ends up like number one, coming out later in ways that you would never have expected. Two, it can affect your body, both like physically and also psychologically. You can suffer with all sorts of ailments. Like there mm-hmm. are so many different detrimental effects that come from the secrecy and the shame and the not talking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just so much healthier to, to, to really discuss things in a supportive way for people so that they don't have to suffer alone. Right. So I do think that some of it is rooted in that. And then I think the, the other piece is, is I think in our community, it's also rooted in Shadokim. Like, oh, you know, they had a loss in their family. Oh, you know, they're going through infertility. And like, yes, obviously, like there are things that are genetic. And like, I get that, but there are so many medical advances nowadays. Like just because you have a specific diagnosis doesn't mean that you're never going to have children or that you're never going to have healthy children. Um, And most Rabbanim in all communities are allowing, and I'm using most because they're still not all, but are allowing medical intervention for fertility treatments. We are a community that, you know, our our main mandate is pruvu. Like, mm-hmm. I, the main mandate is to have children, and most rabbanim, like, really they they bend over backwards to do everything possible to enable couples to have it. So, I I think that that's slowly starting to change, but but that is a piece of it, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I guess like maybe, maybe this is an opinion question, but like, I know that since Instagram has come to be and people are sharing more of their, their private life publicly, or maybe it's not private, but there is that balance. Like we do believe in, I wouldn't say secrecy. Maybe we do believe in secrecy, but that's like a false value. But let's say we believe in, um, like uh what is it like you know we learn in seminary all the time that you're not like imp- you're not impure you're you're um like separation is purity or something right like yeah, we get yeah, that yeah, message yeah. a lot so yeah. so there is like that underlying message that like almost like the more secret you are the more tneass you are but right, i think it's totally. just misconstrued yeah. in a lot of ways so where where is the line that we want to share and support
1: yeah, look, look, there, there is, I, I'm not, I'm a person, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I mean, sneest in my own life. I, I'm not both in the way I dress and, you know, in, in the manner in which I go about, I wouldn't say I'm, I, I'm the model for this, but it, it's definitely a value that I hold in one that I think that is important. Um, where's the line? I think the line is that when, where we're not if, if if there are people who are in pain in our community and we, we as we are not doing a good job at reaching them and they're feeling isolated and alone and then can have so many other detrimental effects in terms of their own mental health which can then spill over to their families and their children mm-hmm. and then the community at large then where do those values lie like like then we we all have to like take a look and say like what are we really doing here? Right. I, I think, I think, you know, what I always say is that the Jewish community and specifically the From community, I always believe is 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 about five years or so behind the general public. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else was talking about cancer years before we started talking about cancer. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was talking about mental illness years before we started talking about mental illness, right? And like, I could give you a thousand topics like that. You know this as well, right? right. Right? So I think that slowly, 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 we're realizing that, yes, there obviously is a value in privacy and in SNEAS and making sure that people are, given the space that the private space they need to be able to handle and grieve and do whatever they need. But there also is a communal need to support them.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely hundred percent. I think the, like the visual that came to my mind when you were saying that the firm world is five years behind is like, almost like dipping your toes in the water. Like they're like the uh, the community at large is like, should we talk about this? Let's try, it. let's see. And then it's just like, right. like exactly. oh, it's like mental illness. Yeah, we all have mental illness in our family grief, yeah. loss, yeah, infertility, like, like, and then it's like, there's just this, like, outpouring of support, like, all these yeah. organizations, and yeah, I guess, I guess I wasn't trying to challenge you, I was just trying to, I always love to, like, no, I, I didn't, I
1: didn't take it that way at okay. all, okay. I, I love, I love these conversations, I, I yeah.
0: love them. Yeah, I think that's how we get, like, clarity on, like, I was thinking about, um, let's say, like, we talked a little bit before the interview, so my, my mother passed away very suddenly, about two years ago, and I I write about it. I blog about it. And, and sometimes I would even, um, write about like my anger towards Hashem, my questioning of Hashem. And I, I was, I was feeling a lot of mm, guilt, shame, or like the shame vulnerability piece. Like, am I oversharing? And, um, I am in the very firm Orthodox community, you know? So there is like a little bit of like, I'm pushing the envelope, but I got so much, uh, feedback, like, Thank you for talking about that. And I, I, I am definitely a questioner. That's just my personality. And I, I, was thinking about a Rav who I was close with before I got married, Rav Milstein. I remember him giving a sheer saying, "We, we don't have blind faith. That's not Judaism. We are supposed to like question and turn. And the whole Gemara is about questioning." And I, I went back to that, that person, that that topic in my brain. And I was like, "Guys, this is real. Like you suffer a loss, Hashem's pushing you." of course you're questioning that's that's part of it and like we do have to talk about it we can't just be like like I I always have this joke with my friends I hope I'm not offending anyone on this podcast but I always have this joke with my friends like hi how are you I'm good Baruch Hashem my house is a mess and I'm crying in the bathroom Baruch Hashem Baruch Hashem I'm like you don't have to say Baruch Hashem that you're crying in the bathroom like come on guys like let's get real you know
1: right exactly look I I think that um (laughs) you know we we as humans have the capacity to have complicated emotions and we have the capacity to sit with grief and sadness and pain and i th- i think that some of it you know It, 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 you know obviously it comes from a good place right it's this like Hashem is testing me Hashem like is giving me this specific like this test because he knows that I'll be able to surmount it and you know I, I, I Hashem loves me I'm like it's all for the good and Baruch Hashem everything's fine and like yeah okay and if that works for you great like let it work for you and let that piece be your driving let let that piece be your drive the piece that drives you but for the rest of us who aren't on that lofty level who are who are just in pain like it's really hard to just say like okay Hashem I know you're testing me and like I'm I'm here and it's fine. Just, just keep throwing the bad stuff at me. Like, I know, I know you're doing it because, you know, you love me. Like, it, it's just, it's just really hard to get to that place. Like, you know, people, and I, I think people are so well-meaning. I, like, I remember, like, after one of my losses, like, someone gave me this incredible book called The Garden of Amuna, right? And like, we all know about this book. Like, I mean, I don't know about everyone, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very popular book because it's mm-hmm. basically, I mean, he has a series and I can't remember who the author is right now, but I mean, he has a series and he really talks about Muna and B'tachon and how like really that, you know, you, you can, in any sar or stress that comes in your life, like you can really look at it in a way that Hashem is trying to teach you a message and teach you a lesson, give you a message, whatever, like that, that, that you believe that, from on high that he's really like giving this to you for the good. And, and I also, I remember like we, we all see like these different individuals who have gone through tremendous like struggle in their lives or like have like people have gone through the Holocaust or have gone through like terrible things. And they come out with this like tremendous Emunah and really um, just connect to Hashem in a much deeper level. And that's wonderful. But the rest of us are just really in pain and can't necessarily at that time access those emotions and those feelings. It's just about like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hold a baby in my arms. I was supposed to hold a baby in my arms. And now, I'm going through my third IVF, my, or I was supposed to be four months pregnant. And now I'm sitting here with a belly and an empty belly. Like it's just really hard. And we also have, I, I think as a community, we, we have an obligation to meet people in their pain as well, and not just give them the lofty religious and spiritual pieces. Like there's also pain and it needs to be dealt with.
0: Yeah. Um, Right. I wouldn't even, I, I, have stopped using like, like that lofty level. Like I've stopped thinking about it that way. Cause I'm like, I just posted on my Instagram. Like if somebody seems to be doing it better than you, they either, um, I I always say this, they either um, have more help than you, that you don't see have a different personality or they're faking it. And I just believe that like, a lofty level, maybe Hashem just, you know, gave them a different nikkudas havachira. Like they just, yes, I don't know. Their mother had more amuna. They, they have an easygoing personality. They have, like, for the people who, who are sensitive, highly sensitive, or empaths or whatever. I, I think of the enneagram, like, like yep. a really feeling person. Like that pain. Like I, I know for myself when I was, I mean, I'm still struggling, obviously, but when I'm talking to my therapist about. I know what I could do to make myself feel better. Like I could look at pictures of my mom. I could meditate. I could call a sister. But what do I do when I'm in so much pain that I can't access the coping skills? You know, like, and like what you said, like this sucks. Like, you know, like it's so, it's so powerful, even though like some people maybe would say like, don't stay there. Don't be stuck there. Like, no, I have to, I have to. So, So what is it that you like, I wanna I want give the listener something practical. What, what are some of the most powerful coping skills that you would recommend for people who are really in, in the trenches?
1: I, I don't recommend actually any, anything pra- personally because I, I, I can give you know, grand overtures, mm-hmm. but for, for everybody it's very, very deeply personal. Um, What works for me or what works for me is not going to work for you. Um, But what I, what I do talk about on the page a lot and I, and, and in other spaces is that like really listening to yourself and like hearing, like taking your temperature, so to speak, and and hearing where you're at,
0: Mm -hmm. like
1: if you're not having a good day and you have the capacity to like take an hour off, take a half an hour off, or take the whole day off and mm-hmm. spend the day in bed or or walking on the beach or getting a massage, what, whatever the, that thing is for you that's nourishing, if you have the ability to give it to yourself, then do it. Like it, I, I, you know, self-care, like I think people talk a lot about like this notion of like self-care is like, you know, manicures and chocolate. Like- mm-hmm. Self-care is like the furthest from manicures and chocolate. Mm -hmm. Self-care is listening to yourself and knowing what you're capable of. And then if you're not capable of X, Y, or Z, like, so, so the first self-care I always say is like saying no, Mm
0: -hmm. like
1: you can say no because you're not up for it and that's okay. But, But the other thing is, what are the things for you that help to nourish your soul, your neshama, your goof, your every part of your body. Like, what what is that thing for you? And for everybody, it's different. Like for me personally, when I was in the trenches and going through all of my losses, and like on a day to day, would like wake up and be like, I'm getting back into bed. Like there's no mm-hmm. purpose. Like mm-hmm. this is horrible. Like I could not see the light. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just about distraction. Like anything that I could do to not fixate on my loss. So it was like every possible book I could get my hands on, Mm -hmm. every magazine, TV show, movie. It was just about like anything I could do to not think about it. And then when I was ready to get up out of bed and finally start like facing the world, and it wasn't even the world, but it was just start like coming back to myself a little bit. Exercise was the thing that did it for me. Um, because I'm a person, when I get pregnant, I gain one pound for every week of pregnancy. So I had 16 or 17 pounds plus on me for every Mm -hmm. pregnancy that I lost. And the fact that every single morning I would try to get on my clothes and they wouldn't fit was a daily reminder of everything that I had lost. And so losing the weight, but also the endorphins that I got once I got myself on my treadmill and the absolute like pounding of my feet Mm -hmm. against the treadmill or the pavement, or like when I used to go to the gym more and like lifting these really heavy weights, like that physical exertion of like getting out my anger and frustration was really, really therapeutic for me. Right, right. But everybody has to find their thing and then
0: do it. Right. I love what you said. It's like permission, like permission to stay in bed, permission to watch TV, distraction. Um. I I think that that's. I, I was thinking about like what I teach, which is intuitive eating, which is I always say that intuitive eating spills over into intuitive living, and like the cues of your body. You know, am I hungry? Am I full? Am I sad? Am I happy? Am I? Do I need distraction? Do I need exercise? Like that comes from. You know, like permission, permission to feel. And there, and like you said before, um, I'm going to start wrapping it up. I know you have to go, but like you said before, um, there's, I think I just lost my train of thought. Um.
1: No, no, I, I was just going to say very quickly the permission. Yes. Like, I'll just say it the even feels over, even to my life right now. Like, last night it was after, it was almost midnight, and I still had like a half an hour, 45 minutes worth of work to get done. And I was hungry, but I wasn't actually really hungry. I really just wanted chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, it's not so healthy for me to be eating chocolate at midnight. But like, honestly, I kind of want some chocolate. So I went and in my freezer, I always like, babka is my thing. Mm -hmm. So like, I went to my freezer and I found my stash of chocolate babka and I cut off a piece and I ate it at midnight last night because like, that's what I needed. Right. right. like, it's just like, that's like, you just have to listen to what your body needs.
0: Right. And I think that what So what you were saying before is that like, when we don't listen to what our body needs, when we don't let ourselves feel and Dr. Sarno, you know, Dr. Sarno healing back pain like that, like, and I, I read such a good book, um, feel your fear and do it anyway. She gives really good examples of how unprocessed emotions, like almost hits you in the face when you're not ready for it. So like anyone who I heard, um I heard Malky Hirsch on a podcast talking about losing her husband. And she said, like, one thing that somebody said to her was not to take um, medication to go through the pain. Everybody will say something different. Right. I've heard I've heard many different things about yeah, pain sure. and loss, um, but but I, I was like, yeah, like I was thinking about all these things. Like the only way to deal with grief is to go through it. And I think that what you're doing is letting people have permission to go through it and to feel, and by listening to other people's stories and you know like all the content that you're putting out and that's that's how that's like a part of healing that permission
1: god God willing that that's that's the hope that's the hope and and that people people feel people feel that they have the permission to feel and they and that they also feel the hug at the same time that's the hope
0: yeah so thank you so much for joining us where could we where could people find you
1: um, the best place to find me is on Instagram. Um, I was supposed to have a baby or we, or there's a website. I was supposed to have a um, All, we have lots and lots and lots of resources. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of highlights on different topics related to infertility or loss. Um, there are 50 plus um, Instagram lives that are on YouTube that people mm-hmm. can watch different topics, different professionals, lay leaders, et cetera, um, there's lots of content out there. Go find it. It's there. And if there's something that you want me to address, if, if you feel that there's been a hole, if you just want to connect, if you want to tell your story, um, please come find me. I'm always open to people messaging me and I answer every single message personally. And I try to do it within the 24-hour period.
0: Wow. And that I'll just say like that's an example of somebody like taking their pain and like using it to serve. It's incredible. Incredible. Like,
1: everybody has the ability to do what they can. And I have like as you said, like the way you posted today, I didn't see it yet, but how like if someone's doing it better, it means that they have more help or they have more this or mm-hmm. whatever. So mm-hmm. so I have the ability because I have help. I I I make no um, you know, I, I make no excuses for it. I, I have um, a cleaning lady who helps me to keep my house running. My husband is incredible and I can do this work completely free because his salary enables us to support the family. And so I don't have to bring in a salary and work as a pediatrician at the moment. So like it's there, there, Hashem has given me these opportunities for a reason. And I'm just trying to help as many people as possible. incredible. Incredible.
0: Okay. So I'm going to put all your information in the show notes so that everyone can find you and get the support they need.
1: Great. Gila, thank you so much. I look, I, I've done a lot of interviews and, but I, I, this message is important and this, this work is important. And You you brought out a number of different things that I haven't spoken about in a really long time, and the pieces that are really important. And I I love the way that you look. You you come at this because you 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 want to be able to bring these kinds of education this kind of education to your community as well. And it's coming also from from the loss of your mother, which I'm so sorry about. But I. I'm also just grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you really, it it was just, it was so easy to speak with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a
1: wonderful
0: day. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at gilaglassberg.com.